be in Acts chapter 20. If I haven't met you, my name is Jeff. I'm the pastor here. If you're joining us online or watching this later in the parallel universe that is YouTube, I'm glad you're doing that. And uh, we're in Acts chapter 20. I think we're in week 33 this week of our study in the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to just cover the first little bit of Acts chapter 20 today. Now, I wonder how many of us, I know that probably all of us, could tell a story of a time in our lives when we have received encouragement from somebody that mattered to us. Uh, You've probably had that happen in your life. If you've never had that happen in your life, I hope it does happen for you because it's very meaningful and it has a very powerful effect on your life. Um, I, I know when I was a young boy, especially getting encouragement from those in my life who really mattered to me, uh, probably did more for me than anything else in terms of my growth and development. Uh, th- this has reminded me of an interesting statistic, uh, particularly for teenage girls. Um, there is nothing that matters more to them in terms of their spiritual and their mental health than having good relationships with adults who are not part of their biological family. And guess what the church is? It's that, right? It's generations of people bound together, caring for one another. So encouragement has a profound effect on not just us, but on uh, generations to come and, and our, our, our lives together as we uh, live together. Now, I was doing my best to not use another baseball story, but it's, it's all I got because baseball was a big part of my life. Uh, it's not really about the game itself, but you know, bear with me. Uh, when I was about 10 years old until I was about 13 years old, uh, I played little league in Florida and, uh, in my little league, you stayed with the same coach, uh, for every kind of segment of little league. So there's like minors and majors, and then there's juniors and seniors. Uh, and so at that point when I was about 10 to 13, I had a coach named Harold, coach Harold. He was awesome. Had the greatest mustache, maybe except George Price's. Uh, that I've ever seen. It was a fantastic mustache. Uh, and he was a great coach. Um, but Coach Harold was the best coach I ever had, not because he was the best baseball X's and O's guy, uh, although he was good, good enough for 10 to 13-year-olds to develop. Um, he wasn't really any better than uh, at the details of baseball than other coaches I had. In fact, I had coaches that were way better at that part. But what made Coach Harold the best coach that I ever had, that I remember his name, and I don't remember many of my other coaches' names, was that he was incredible uh, because of the reality of encouragement. He was fantastic at this. Um, he never screamed at us in a way that was discouraging. Now, if you know youth sports, especially uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was playing those, uh, screaming at players was just kind of normal part of the deal. Um, It still is in many places, and I think there might be a place for that. That's a different conversation, but Coach Harold was able to get his point across to those of us who uh, were on his team, 10 to to 13-year-old boys, um, in a way that was different. When we made mistakes on the field, and if you haven't been around 13-year-old boys playing baseball, lots of mistakes are going to happen, but when we made mistakes, he would simply encourage us to correct it on the next chance we got. Um, and, and I don't know how he did it, but he never, ever ran out of patience. But really, I do know how he did it because he, he followed Jesus and uh, he was a great influence in my life. Uh, but he just had this huge ability to encourage us when we needed it. And as you know, 10 to 13-year-old kids and boys need a lot of encouragement. 
really unsure of ourselves at that stage. And so, you know, it makes me wonder how many of us have walked in here this morning and maybe now with this story, you're realizing you need some encouragement or, or you could use some this week. Maybe you, uh, maybe that's not you. Maybe you've walked in here and everything's going great and you're feeling awesome. Great. Good for you. I hope your cup overflows and you encourage somebody else then. Uh, and so Paul was incredible at this in our um, text in the book of Acts and in his life. And our passage this morning really kind of opens and closes with his encouragement of others. Uh, now, there's also a great story in here about uh, young men falling asleep in church. So if you're like under 30 and you're a young man in here, don't do it today because it would be ironic. All right. <laughs> Um, and, and so there, there's a great story about falling asleep in church. We've all been there, right? I've been there. I know for a fact some of you have been there because I have watched it happen. Uh, but here's what I want us to see today. Now, everybody today is like, I cannot. I got to stay awake. Um, Acts 21 through 12 is about so much more than falling asleep in church or staying awake in church. What we're going to see is Paul in a very spirit-filled and Christ-like way, he's going to come alongside his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's going to strengthen them both by his words, but also by what he does and what he participates in. And so we have, as followers of Jesus, right? This, this is the apostle who would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so he's an example for us as he follows Christ. And so then that means we have both a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. How many of you know that some of your responsibilities are also privileges, right? Like my responsibility to raise my children is a privilege. I get to raise kids. Not like, oh, I got to raise these kids. They're crazy. They are crazy. But I get to do that. That's a privilege and a responsibility and we have that of encouraging our brothers and sisters uh, like Coach Harold did to a bunch of 13-year-old boys who were always messing around and screwing up. We have to do this consistently. And both you and I, if we're honest, know why this is true. We know why we need encouragement. Why? Because our hearts are weak and fickle, right? We're the crowd that on one day says, "Here, Hosanna, here he comes, bring the Lord in. And on the next week says, crucify him. That's us. We're fickle like that. Sin never goes to bed. I don't know if you've noticed, but sin doesn't have an off time. It's just there, right? And our enemy, Satan, who we, yes, believe that we have a very real spiritual enemy that we call Satan, he is always at work. Listen to the way that Hebrews 3 talks about it. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or encourage one another every day as long as it is called today. So right, all of, for, for us, all the days that end in day, that's all of them, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another because sin is always at work and it's deceitful and it will harden you. So all we're seeing in this text is Paul sort of practicing this reality. There was this commentator who had this great line uh, about encouragement where he said, encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. Encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. So let, let's just take a look at how we can both give and receive encouragement. And then we'll have this crazy story in the middle about falling asleep. Uh, but where, where we find ourselves this week is just after, if you remember, if you were here last week, the almost riot in the city of Ephesus. And now Paul is going to execute his plan to go to Jerusalem. We can fill in some of the details 
uh, from the rest of the New Testament, uh, from Paul's writings in both 2 Corinthians and in Romans. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, those books that have those names of cities are letters to the Christians in those cities. That's what the word epistle means. So the, the writing that Paul did, the second one he sent to the church in the city of Corinth, and the one he sent to the Christians in the city of Rome, those are 2 Corinthians and Romans. Both of those were written during this about this time frame. So we can fill in some of the details here. So Paul collects offerings from Macedonia or Greece and possibly Galatia, another city and around Asia Minor in, in order to uh, bring an offering to assist uh, the poor saints, the, the Christians in Jerusalem, kind of the mother church, if you will. Uh, and so this would have been uh, obviously a huge encouragement to the believers there. So imagine we're in a famine, we have no food and other churches from our region send help to us. Uh, we would be super encouraged by that. Uh, Paul tells the church in Rome that those in Macedonia were pleased to make this offering. So we hear not only are they helping us, but they are um, cheerful givers. Super encouraging, not only for us, but as another church who's part of the giving. Amazing. And so while Paul is making this journey from east to west, he has an opportunity not only to collect funds for the church in Jerusalem, but also to encourage uh, the brothers and sisters in the faith, which if you read the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament is a pattern for Paul. Uh, I was thinking this week, he probably learned it from Barnabas, right? The son of encouragement, that's his nickname. So in order for us to better understand the context of these opening verses in Acts chapter 20, it's important uh, that we note that during Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus, uh, he experiences a little bit of drama with the Corinthian church. Uh, it gets a little bit difficult. He has to write kind of a hard letter that not many people are real happy to read, uh, according to 2 Corinthians 2. Uh, and so what is going on is that some believers in Corinth are actually opposing Paul and they are attacking his sort of credentials as an apostle. So he has to defend himself if you read the second letter to the church at Corinth. And, and what's going on here? Well, there's a, just a spirit of rebellion. They're like, we don't, basically, we don't want to listen to you and who are you anyway? And so some believers in Corinth are doing this. So Paul sends a letter by way of another man named Titus and after a, uh, a while, Paul waits for Titus's report before he visits that city himself to deal with it in person. And so after a few stops, Paul eventually meets up with Titus and he is given good news. Um, those who were rebelling and, and those who were the offending party had been disciplined. And don't, I know that word is like, oh, don't say that word, right? Discipline, bad. No, they had been, think of it this way, brought back in to the fold, right? They had been disciplined or corrected, uh, and Paul and the church in Corinth had been reconciled. So this is good news that we fill in. And so when Paul reaches Macedonia at the beginning of Acts 20, where we're going to be today, he receives this report, and then he writes the second letter to the Corinthian church, or 2 Corinthians. So eventually, Paul makes it to Corinth. Uh, it's, it's, it, the Bible talks about a three-month stay in Greece, uh, and so this would be Paul's final visit to Corinth. And it was at this visit that he actually wrote the letter to the Roman Christians that we read as the book of Romans. So that's kind of the backdrop of what's going on here. So there's a lot happening. Paul's a busy guy with a full ministry. Okay, um, Luke only chooses, though, to, to, to highlight 
Paul's personal encouragement to the saints here in Acts 20, as we're going to read today. So Acts 20, I'm going to just start with verses 1 and 2, and then we'll move on in chunks after that. So this is Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 1. After the uproar, see, so that's the almost riot that happened in 19, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Now, I would argue it's difficult to overestimate the value of encouragement for one another. Like encouraging one another is incredibly incredibly valuable when we think of things that push us as a church family towards spiritual health, right? Correction has its place, rebuke has its place, reproof has its place, all those things. Learning has its place. But when a Christian brother or sister encourages you to follow after Jesus, not much will make you do that more than encouragement. It's a really powerful Thing. And so just a shameless plug here, if you are feeling like you need some encouragement and you aren't already coming, Friday night is amazing. Uh, especially this last Friday night was super amazing. A bunch of us were there. Uh, there was really great energy in the room, especially the room I was in because I watched the kids. Uh, and so um, it's just a great time to come and have a meal together. We all bring something and share it. Uh, and then we just have a time of studying and it's a great source of encouragement. Uh, I would venture to guess that if, if you would ask the people who have come on the Friday nights, we've had it, that all of them, at least on one Friday night, have had a great conversation that encouraged them when they left. And so I just want to encourage you to start coming. See what I did there? Encourage you to start coming uh, if you can. And I want, to, I want to also encourage you to make space uh, for things like that if it's not already part of your calendar. So let's keep going here. Verse 3. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So here's what's happening here. Paul changes his plans for travel after he hears about a possible attack at sea. So they're planning to attack him while he's sailing, and so he decides instead to go north to where he needs to go by land. And so then Luke is going to then mention a long list of traveling companions who are probably likely delegates from the Gentile churches, from the churches outside the church at Jerusalem. Uh, They would serve alongside Paul and they would also, keep this in mind, Paul's carrying a lot of money. So they're probably protecting the offering with Paul, right? They're all watching it and keeping guard over it. So Paul values them and he mentions them in some of his other letters. Look at verses four through six. I'm going to do my best with pronunciation here. Just pretend like I said it all right. Sopatar the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Sesundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So, a few of these men, they go ahead to Troas, but Paul and Luke, right, we know that because notice in verse 6, Luke says we, as he's writing this, they actually observe the Passover with the Philippian congregation, and don't forget now that the Passover um, now had more different and, and I guess better, more complete meaning to Paul and Luke because they now see it as Uh, They see its fulfillment in Christ, who is the ultimate Passover lamb. Now, before we read about the sleepy young adult in the room, 
Let's just ask. That's why we have coffee at church. That's not really right. Let's just ask. I just want to, this is a little different for me, but let's just ask a little bit of application questions in the middle of the sermon, right? Based on the verses we covered so far. So, so based on what we've seen so far, how can we then, as Christians reading this, encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's say this week? How can we do that? Well, based on the text, we see a few different answers. We can first encourage them by being generous to those around us. We we can give to one another. Paul collected funds to support the church, those who needed help in Jerusalem. This encouraged the saints both in word and deed. And so we have this responsibility, but also this privilege. We get to be on the lookout for the needs in our body of Christ, and we can give when possible. Now, there's a flip side to this. Those of us who have a need can't be so caught up in our pride that we don't ever ask for help, right? That's part of living in community too. It's a really hard one for us because we're Americans and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but we need help sometimes. And that's a way to encourage one another. I think also we can learn from Paul's example and we can make it a point to be actively present with one another. Now, We know from our experiences over the last three, four years, right? And you know what I'm talking about, that isolation is bad for us in a lot of ways, really bad for us. There's physical ways it's bad for us. There's definitely mental ways and spiritual ways that isolation is bad for us, but it's really so tempting, especially when we can feel ourselves becoming discouraged to just isolate all the time and never practice community with one another. Again, things like Friday night group are a good way, but also just things like just get together for a simple meal with one another, right? These are simple ideas. Some of us need to hear this, but you don't need the church's or my permission or blessing to get together and for it to count as Christian community. Like it doesn't have to be on the church calendar. You can just practice community together and I'm just, if I never find out about it, like your meal that you had together still counts. Awesome, right? You're free, be free, practice community together. Another practical way to encourage and to be encouraged is simply by serving within the community of faith that we are building here. And I mean now specifically Lansdowne Alliance Church. Paul's travel companions here, uh, no doubt, are serving with Paul, right? That's what they're doing. But they're also, no doubt, bringing each other encouragement. They're encouraging Paul. Paul's encouraging them. It's this reciprocal thing that when you give, you actually receive as well. So one way to really develop deep, uplifting relationships together is by serving together. There's three groups of people I can think of right now that serve together actively at our church that I can just watch the friendships develop. That's those who serve in the youth ministry, right? They become a group of friends. Those who go to war together every week in children's ministry. Yeah, that's what I mean, right? War with their own patience. That was me on Friday. And then third is the music team. Like, right, that's, I serve in the music team. That's a great source of encouragement to me. It's fun, but it's really about the relationships and the community that you build together. So let me just, again, shameless plug. We have a bunch of ways that you can serve right now. Here are five key areas, if you could put that slide up, that you can jump into right now. Next generation stuff, so children and youth. There's a bunch of ways you can serve there. Now, you got to get some training. we got to background check you, right? Can't just anybody be in there with our kids. Uh, but we always are looking for people who will serve. It could be simple things. Like, hey, 
I'll run the soundboard during a Wednesday night youth group. Hey, I'll sit in the, in the nursery with the babies. And listen, you're not babysitting when you're in there. You are commending the works of the Lord one generation to another. Some of those works of the Lord is, hey, don't bite each other. Okay? That's what you might have to do. But you can jump in and serve. You can jump in and serve. A prayer team, I'd love to see that grow here. Wednesday morning, we, a few of us pray together. Uh, and so we'd love to see that happen. It doesn't mean you have to come on Wednesday morning, but if you're like, hey, I, I can't do much physically, but I would love to be part of praying for this congregation. Let's do it. Connections. That's everybody that does stuff uh, on a Sunday morning like coffee and making sure that the welcome cards are ready and the pens. There's all this little stuff that has to happen, even in a small church, that if we can spread that load, it makes light work and it builds an encouraging community together. Tech, music, we always, some of, you, some of you, I know there's some of you in here that play keyboard or something and have never told me, and I'm waiting to hear and find out. We need, you know, we can always use more musicians. Uh, we can always use more people in the booth back there um, doing the, all the things that they got to do in order to make our Sunday mornings happen. And then a big one on Sunday mornings that we've talked about before is just cleaning our building. Um, for the most part right now, the people that you see up on this platform and the people serving the children's ministry are also the ones who are making sure the fingerprints are off the windows on Sundays, cleaning the bathrooms. So if we can lighten that load a little bit and just have a rotation of people jump in and serve. So those are the ways that you can do that. If you're interested and you're like, man, I, I want to be part of a team, uh, you can do it on a welcome card um, and, and put that in the offering bucket. Don't come up and tell me because I 100% will forget. Uh, that you said that to me. So uh, fill out a welcome card and, and just write in the little spot there, I would love to serve. Um, so what are the ways we can practice giving and receiving encouragement even this week, right now? We can give to one another, we can live in community actively, and we can start serving one another. But why is it so difficult for us? Why, why is it hard for us to live a life of encouragement to one another, right? Well, let me just preach to myself for a minute here, Okay. Why don't I do this? Why don't I give of myself more? Because I like my plans, right? And I like myself. That's what it is. I, like, I love myself and I love my world working how I want it to work. But here's what I have to face. A failure to, to encourage, to live a life of encouragement to others is a sign that I am failing to love those in my community as I should. So then what do I do with that? What do I do with that reality that I'm failing? I do the same thing I do with any other failing. I bring it to Jesus, I fall again on his grace, and I start again. That's what we do with sin. That's what we do with pride. Bring it to Christ, just like you did the first time. Hand it to him and say, Lord, I trust you, and we start again. Now, let's keep going on here because the next story is pretty fun. Paul and his companions then, they spend a week in Troas. Probably they're awaiting the departure of the ship. Uh, and while they're there, they visit the church. They worship together. And Luke records a really kind of an unforgettable uh, worship service. Uh, look at Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Luke is really digging on Paul here. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. 
But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Right? Wild story. One of the crazier stories in the New Testament. Now, this is an important factor for the context of sleepiness in church. Uh, But this is the earliest text of the church meeting, not on the Sabbath. They're not meeting on the Sabbath here. They're meeting on the first day of the week, which is what we're doing on Sunday, right? And Luke, probably because he was present, gives us some interesting details. Paul's sermon goes super long. And he talked longer still, right? (laughs) Paul knew his time. I'm going to get defensive of Paul. Long sermons are fine. Paul knew that his time with his congregation was limited and he wanted to make the most out of it, right? He's just there for that limitation or that limited time. Now, here's the application that is not in this text. The application is not preach 10-hour sermons. Praise God, right? Uh, John Newton uh, said, when weariness begins, edification ends. So, got to be smart about how long you go. But there's a couple factors at play here uh, that lead to Eutychus falling asleep that are, are helpful to know. The word for lamps in verse 8 is actually translated, could be translated as torches. So imagine like tiki torches like we would have right outside. Uh, and so imagine this is a house. It's not a church building. So it's, a, it's like a, a room that they're up in the third story of. And they've got torches so they can see because they don't have electricity. And so they're in the Mediterranean. You've got the heat. Uh, you've got the, the, the crowd after. Remember, this is the first day of the week. So they're coming after a long day of work. You've got the smoke from the torches. Maybe there's a little bit of a, like a lack of oxygen going on. And we're, try, you know, we're trying to give Eutychus the benefit of the doubt here. But, but we've all been there, right? I know that we've all been there. Uh, a few weeks back when I went to Spokane, there was not less than a few of those sessions where I was like fighting to keep my toothpicks in my eyes to stay awake. Like, you've been there uh, during maybe church, TV show, whatever it is. But Luke tells us that Eutychus is gradually overcome with sleep. And he, despite his best effort to stay, he's trying to stay awake, but uh, maybe he went to the window to get some air, and that's how he ends up there. But the word translated for sleep is where we get the English word hypnosis. So, like, this is deep sleep, right? And so, finally, the, the hot, sticky room, the, the, the flickering of the flames. You ever watch a fire uh, flicker? It'll make you feel sleepy. Whatever it was, it gets the best of him. He shuts his eyes, he relaxes, and falls out of the third story window. Right now, I know that like we read this text and we understand mentally, but like, can you imagine the terror of what happened there? I, have you? I don't know if you've ever been in a church service when somebody has passed out or collapsed, but it's kind of chaotic. Uh, doesn't matter how big or small the room is; it's it can be kind of chaotic. I was a in a band when I was younger, and in the middle of singing, leading a church, someone collapsed on the floor, and we had to stop and call an ambulance into that. Uh, place And so that was pretty chaotic. Um, now imagine someone, I mean, you know that if he fell out of the third story window, you're assuming if you're there, he fell to his death. That Eutychus just died. Right? So the irony, though, about this situation, or maybe the, the providence, if you will, Eutychus's name can be translated, uh, or it means fortunate. And so not only is he providentially fortunate enough to fall asleep in church, but he is 
uh, fortunate enough to fall asleep while Paul is preaching and with Luke there to document it for us so that we have this story thousands of years later. Now, this might be the first record we have of somebody falling asleep in church. It's not the last time it's going to happen, but he falls asleep. He falls three stories to his death. And I don't know about you, but I'm super happy that that's not the end of that story, right? Because it could be. But after Eutychus falls, Paul, by the power of Jesus, raises this young man back to life. And I love how in Acts, that's kind of like just matter-of-factly stated. Like, yeah, fell to his death, Paul went out, raised him from the dead, and then they ate. Like, that's how, it's, that's how the story is communicated. They then had a meal, which would have included the Lord's Supper or communion, and then Paul continued to speak. We, we already know it's at least midnight, and he continues to speak until daybreak. So probably another at least four or five hours. Right? Luke then tells us that they bring the boy home alive and it brings great comfort to the church. Amazing. Now, here's the thing. Um, falling asleep in church doesn't really bother me. So if, if it's not going to bug me, right? It happens. But what does bother me, what does concern me, what does, to use Paul's language, provoke me in my spirit, and it should you too, is that there are people who sit in church every week, Sunday after Sunday, or maybe they've heard the gospel Time after time, their bodies are fully awake, but their souls are asleep. Just like Eutychus, who fell to his death, needed the power of Jesus through one of Jesus' servants to come back to life, we, you and I, need the power of Jesus, which comes to us through his servants, to spiritually wake us up. Now, here's what's scary. It's possible to live your whole life and pass on without ever realizing that you are spiritually asleep, that your eyes are blind. C.S. Lewis said it this way in his famous book, The Screwtape Letters. The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So maybe this is the question for us this morning. Are you awake Maybe this is the moment you wake up to Jesus and his resurrection power by simply trusting in him. So my prayer for us is that we would experience that moment like Eutychus did, where we wake up from the dead to new life. Like imagine that moment for Eutychus when he wakes up and he's alive again. A new life, literally. He died and now he's got a new life. And so my hope for us is that we leave here this morning fully awake, fully alive, and also encouraged in Jesus. Acts 20, uh, verses 1 through 12 that we've looked over really illustrates for us the ministry of Jesus worshiping, Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered encouragement, right? And so uh, my prayer for you, those of us who are awake to Jesus, that we would encourage one another, make it a practice, that encouragement is one of our spiritual practices for one another, by caring for one another, by walking in intentional community, fighting the urge to isolate if that's you, uh, and as part of that, by, being, by, by serving the community of faith here at our church in tangible ways. Now, if you walked in here and you're realizing, like, man, I, I, maybe I was asleep and I feel like maybe I'm, I want to be awake now, uh, then I just want to invite you, hear the call of Jesus to wake up. To wake your soul up. Let me just end by simply reading a few texts from the Apostle Paul over us today on, on this idea of waking up 
to Jesus. Let me read these. This is from Romans 13. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Here from 1 Corinthians, awake to righteousness and sin no more. And here from Ephesians chapter 5, maybe you know this text. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for these stories that seem like they're just historical accounts. And they are, and yet they carry within them your life. And and by that, our life as we follow you and as we read about what it was like to be part of the first churches that gathered and worshipped you. Lord, we pray that we would be a people of encouragement, that uh, it would be easy for us to encourage one another to continue to chase after you. And Lord, where we have failed, Father, would you give us the boldness to come back to you over and over and over again and trust in your mercy and trust in your grace uh, that's new every day and that we would start again with you. And we pray all of these things in your name, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.